Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Beautiful people, I want to thank you for joining me here this morning. 
here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. This is Prison Focus Radio, and I'm your host, Nube Brown. Uh, Before we get started, or we are getting started, I want to remind you that we are in our fall fun drive for KPOO, this beautiful Black-owned, Black-run radio station uh, that brings you uh, music that you will not hear anywhere else, commentary that you will not hear anywhere else, and uh, you will not find Prison Focus Radio here anywhere else either. I want to thank you, KPOO San Francisco 89.5, for providing this beautiful hour, this very precious hour for our brothers, sisters, and siblings on the inside. Um, But please make those donations. It's very easy to do online just by going to kpoo.com. But if you would like to send your donation in, we are trying to raise $75,000 by the end of the year. Uh, You will make your check or money order out to KPOO and send that to KPOO PO Box 156650 San Francisco, California 94115. And we want to thank you for your generosity um, in advance. Remember, this is what happens when we do things together, when we act in unity and in solidarity. This is how we keep the people's needs being met. All right. So if you've been listening on a fairly regular basis, you know that we have been in conversation with Joka Hishima Jinsai um, about the book, The Indictment of the State and its Prison Industrial Slave Complex, uh, concept by Abdul Olubala Shakur. Well, as I was searching around um, in my archives, I realized that I had a second part of a conversation uh, that I was having with Shima, and um, it's more in a personal bent. Um, I wasn't able to get it in um, for the past couple of weeks, and I wanted to bring that forward uh, today because, yes, he is a new African revolutionary um, a new African revolutionary, uh, but he is also a human being. And uh, this part of the conversation is really beautiful. Um, I think it's important to know the people who are people, not just criminals or the worst of the worst or a danger to society or throwaways as this system would like you to believe. So we are going to bring that we are going to bring uh, that part of the conversation forward and we are going to hear from another, a prisoner behind the Alabama uh, Department of Correction walls, behind enemy lines around the Alabama strikes that are con- uh, continuing. Um, uh, they have taken a pause. They uh, were striking since September 26. I think it was for um, eight days. Not sure how many days, but I think it was about a week. Um, and then they put it on pause, and they're going to start back up on October 31st. So we are uh, very fortunate and honored to bring forth um, the voice of kinetic justice. All right, so stay with us, and here we go. Hey. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At the time, I was on the swim team, so I was like a fish, man. I loved swim. That's the one probably the thing I miss most about being in prison other than my children is I miss swimming I, I used to <laughs> anybody knows me I used to swim every day I would go to the ocean swim in the ocean uh, every day anyway uh, in the ocean even oh that's serious yeah, swimming yeah it's kind of my thing oh um, my god she might so, love uh, learning these things about you so uh the navy guys like yeah man uh you know those are the baddest guys on the planet 
<laughs> magical <laughs> words. And he's like, nah, let me show you a video. So I go on the crew and he shows me this Navy SEAL video. I signed immediately. Um, a week later, I was in pre-SEAL training in the boot camp. And anyway. Did you love it? Lots. Um, I mean, love it. I mean, did was it giving you, like, was the was training? Like this, did you like the training? Um, obviously? I love the training. Mm -hmm. um, I did not love the abject, uncut, unadulterated racism. Mm -hmm. Didn't love that. Mm -hmm. um, I was if that showed up. Okay. I have, in fact, um, what ultimately led to my administrative separation, I got kicked out of the military. What ultimately led to my administrative separation was I got in a fight in sports ball on 32nd Street in San Diego with three white Marines who called me a nigga and swung on me and I defended myself. But the person that tried to break it up was a short patrol officer. I didn't know that at the time because all I seen was a white hand on my right shoulder and I was already in the mode that I trained to be in. I literally had slipped into my training. So they don't, they don't train you to subdue opponents. They train you to neutralize or eliminate them. And I did what I was trained to do. So before I knew it, I broke the guy's arm, crushed his trachea. Luckily, it was a lot of uh, corpsmen there. I was a corpsman. That was my rate in the seals. Um, because before you can go to uh, pre seal training, I mean uh, post seal training, like uh, jump school or dive school, you got to go to a C school. This is immediately after buds. So I went to boot camp, pre seal training, pre seal training, Bosons May School. The only reason why I went to Bosons May School was it's a shorter school. You gotta have a C school before you can, before you gotta have a rate before you can go to Buzz. So I went to my C school, which was Bosa's main school, it was like two weeks. It's just teach you how to swab the deck and what a ship is, shit like that. Then I went to six month Buzz is a six month school. Now it's only three months. They're like watered down the training, but when I was there, Buzz was six months. And so I went to Buzz after got out of Buzz, went to Fort Bend, Georgia for jump school, went to Pensacola, Florida for dive school. I went to Fort Worth, Panama for general warfare training, and I came back. Wow, and you're still a protection. teenager. Uh, I'm sort of done. Okay. <laughs> I was about 19. That, yeah, 20. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, uh, all right. Um, yes, so, uh, <laughs> that's, you are a kid. Um, Sorry. What ultimately happened was uh, I got this fight in the sports bar.
I downed him. His, his two buddies jumped in. I downed both of them. The short patrol guy grabbed me from behind. I thought he was another one of his friends. Of course, of course. You're and training. I did what I was trained to do. And I hurt him, like, really, really bad. But uh, it was Corman there, so they was able to give him an emergency tracheotomy with an ink pen, so I, I didn't kill him. Um, but anyway, I got in the, what, military law, UCMJ, is the uniform called military justice, is different than civilian law. Okay. In civilian law, they tell you you're innocent to proven guilty. UCMJ is the direct opposite of that. You have to prove you didn't do it once you are charged with a crime. Okay, although that's... So you're guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. So, uh, when I got my jag, my jag, <laughs> she let me know that the guy that I downed, the short patrol guy, uh, happened to be Captain Sands, my commanding officer's son-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know kind of how that went. Yeah, yeah. I didn't stand a chance. Yeah, you didn't. So I went to Exos Mass, from Exos Mass, Seals Mass, Seals Mass, Court Marshal, and, um, so I wasn't immediately asked to they gave me a 45, 45, 450 for two, which is 45 days extra duty. This after I did my six months in the brig. 45 days extra duty, 45 days restriction to base, uh, reduction in, in rank by two pay grades, and uh, $450, $450 a month was deducted from my, uh, my paycheck for two months. And I was confined to base. So uh, after I did all that stuff, then they had stepped me because when I initially joined the military, I signed a waiver. I had one arrest. You have to sign a waiver to get in. You can't have felony charges unless you just got one, like I had. So uh, I signed the waiver. The captain invoked my waiver, my waiver clause that says if you have a violation of UCMJ within your first four years of enlistment, they can accept you. As that's administrative separation has kicked you out. And that's what happened to me. So I'm back in the civilian world with a skill set that doesn't translate to the civilian sector. Right. I've been trained to kill people for the last three years. And it's really no <laughs> where the fuck I'm gonna get the job back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! Well, this is just, but this is crazy to think about. That yeah, this is also what now, they're doing to our children. I recalled the original reason I went in the military was to get this train to take back mom. But life happens, right? And I found myself stranded in San Diego, California, and uh, there was individuals, organized syndicates in the subculture who readily had a place for my skill set. Absolutely. That ultimately led me to state prison. Um, how I got here is what caused me to ultimately make the transition from completely, from what I would call proto-consciousness or proto-revolutionary consciousness or consciousness of oppression. There's a difference between consciousness of oppression and revolutionary consciousness. Here's the difference. You can be... I'll give you an example. Some people say, man, white folks will never let us be free. That's consciousness of oppression. Revolutionary consciousness is we are going to conquer our rights. We are going to be free because we're going to wage this revolution and win. That's the difference between the two. I had the first. I had consciousness of oppression, Mm -hmm. but I had yet to develop genuine revolutionary 
ultimate consciousness. This occurred to me when I was accused, hunted, tried, and convicted, something I didn't do. That, as George would say, there are moments in your life that could at any time cause you, thrust you into a revolutionary counteroffensive. For me, that was mine. Two things emerged in my mind. One, the world that we lived in was governed by a system that was evil. It's not just bad, it's not just wrong, it's evil. Because it is evil, yeah. This wrong, this bad, this um, these unequal relationships, be they economic, social, political, cultural, military, are intentional. They're purposeful. They're they're methodically planned out. They have layers of reflexive uh, defense to ensure that these institutions continue, that their ideas and values are reproduced in our minds. I can think of no greater evil than that. The second thing that I came to realize, I was born. The reason I was put on this planet was to destroy this and build something better. I'm not going to live to see it. I'm consciously aware of that. But I guarantee you this, my contribution is going to be a brick in that pyramid. Believe that. And I've lived my life accordingly for the last 31 years. And pretty much how I got from the knucklehead kid I was to where I am today. Um, Of course, there's a whole lot of stuff I've left out. But that's pretty much it in a nutshell. But the consciousness that would allow a child, and I went to juvenile hall before. This is how I know what you see in indictment count two is the truth. Um, I was going to, I was in the shoe at the time, 2000, between 2003 and 2009. I went back and forth from the shoe to San Diego County Jail for child custody hearings because they was trying to take my parental rights from my daughter after my wife fell into a, um, my wife fell into a lifestyle that ultimately got my daughter taken. Um, this is my ex-wife. You know, no, no, we're not married anymore. But uh, this is my wife when I came to prison. Anyway, uh, and they were taking you to the shoe. That was that's how they were handling you. You went from well, court to to solitary confinement. Issue. No, I was, I was already in the shoe, in oh, prison. got it, okay. And what happened was, um, while I was in the shoe, I got a summons from the uh, San Diego County Family Services letting me know that my daughter was in foster care. Oh, God. And uh, she had been taken from my wife, and they were trying to sever my parental rights simply because I was in prison. Now, mind you, the entire time I've been in prison, I ain't, I've sent money to my children. I take care of my kids. I ain't just, I'm not a sperm donor. Right. I'm a father. You're right. I, I hear my that. Children. Oh, no. Um, so everything I possibly could do. There's nothing that's where I love more than my children. I love them more than my own soul. Um, anyway, so they was taking me back and forth. And while I was there in 2004, they always held me in a, a, a because I'm validated, they put me in an E-module or a hole. Okay. So I was in a hole. In San Diego County Jail in the E module E5, 
Oh my god. They was pitted against each other in these like gladiator type fights. In Paso, these call it Friday night fights where the fucking guards will make a little fight card. Who you want to fight? Then when you didn't stop fighting, once they were on the bill, they beat you with a wooden mace. Um, Tecumseh was put inside of, in, in, in Tascadero. He was put in a cell, a solitary confinement cell that was pitch black. Nothing, nothing. When I say nothing, I mean nothing but a bed and left there for months. This is a child. Jesus, oh my God. I know men that this was crushed. Yeah. This was a baby. Right. He was 11. Oh my they God. would administer medication by putting his boy in four-point restraints and shooting him up. Anyway, uh, oh my it affected God. me so much that I had, I began to research. And I came to find that at least 80% of the young men who were in the shoot with me, in the prison with me, I've been white. Oh. I found out that the recidivism rate in the California Youth Authority was 91%. That's Wrap your head around right. that. These are our children that's training them, like you every, said. Of every 10 kids that went to white, nine oh. of them came back. Yeah. And so I started asking questions. I started researching, and I'm talking about. Not research that you go on Google or a library. I started researching with those who actually was in Paso, who was in YTS, who was actually in California Youth Thor. Right. And the stories were eerily the same. Mm. Almost, it was almost an archetype where they would take these children. Without any consciousness, right, of that, whereas no. when you came out of the military, when you were expelled, you know, kicked right. out, you understood that your your skill set didn't necessarily apply for civilian life. Of course, you did find a way to have them apply, but you had some right. consciousness of, of yeah. what had taken place. I knew exactly what happened. Exactly, exactly. Right. Where mm -hmm. at some point you're gonna have to buy the new upgraded version of your cell phone right. in order to use a cell phone. Right. Well, very similarly, they will take your children 
So now they can charge it's you as an adult. Guaranteed job security. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a guaranteed foundation for an industry. One where currently, uh, if I'm not mistaken, starting salary is $106,000 a year with benefits. That's how much a California prison guard makes. So, That's really when you look at the uh, young brothers yeah. and sisters on the street corners, in your community, do not look at them as predators. See them for what they are. They are victims of a system that you allow to continue. Right. If you know something is wrong, if you know something is intentionally harming your children, and you do nothing about it, you don't resist, you don't seek to create alternative institutions or alternative solutions to that contradiction, you're complicit. Absolutely. It's one of the reasons I wrote this indictment. The reason we conceived this, the reason we put this out is so you would know. You can't say you're ignorant no more. Absolutely. I challenge anyone listening to my voice to take every single claim asserted in every single count of this indictment, hold it up to the social reality of your country, and tell me if I ain't telling the truth. See, unlike the state, men like me, revolutionaries, we only have one stock and trade, the truth. I don't have to lie to you. I don't have to fake the funk. I don't have to jeff you. I don't have to exaggerate facts. I don't do none of that. I'm not Trump. I'm not uh, QAnon or the Republican Party or the Democrats. I'm a black man in America who's in state prison, been here for 31 years. I have a unique social perspective. One that allows me to see everybody bullshit. Why? Because I'm at the absolute bottom rung of this civilization. At one point, I was at a point below this, when I was in solitary confinement, which is the most oppressive conditions that exist in this society. So I was there for 20 years. So you had 20 years of me being able to see everybody's bullshit without rose-colored glasses. Right, right. And it allows us the capacity to analyze the social conditions in such a way that you... Joe Sixpack, uh, uh, Betty Crocker, uh, <laughs> the average American. So you can see you're being lied to. Yeah. You're being fed a bag of goods that the label ain't actually true. Right, right. So when you look at the ingredients on your justice system, you look at the ingredients on your economic system, your social system, your cultural system, when you look at them ingredients, you probably want to take that shit to a lab. Because I guarantee you what's written on that label and what's actually in it is two different things. Mm. I'm living proof. Yes, yes, you are. Trust and, me, I know. <laughs> and I'm going to probably ask you this question a lot of times, what? but how, um, how I, I mean, I know you got the you have all the, the political knowledge and the analysis, but, but your, your, your humanity and your, your heart is intact. Like I think about that first well, book that you read all those years ago, what in your capacity, why did you even read a book? I mean, cause as most people would say, you know, these, these kids 
um, they don't care about education. They don't, they don't, they don't have anything, right? They don't exactly. So like even just going back to that, like what made you read that book? Where did it come from? And why did you read it? Okay. I'm going to answer that question, but I want to comment on something first. The reason why a lot of these kids don't pick a book up, unfortunately, a lot of them are illiterate or they have limited literacy and they don't like to appear weak. Absolutely. In any way, shape or form. Thank you. So the reason they're not picking up books because they don't want to know. No, they want to know. Yes. They really want to understand why this is happening to me. But they don't have the tools to even understand what they read. Yeah. Yeah. Or what, why they're feeling the Just way that they're feeling. Just another example how your system has failed you. Me, on the other hand, I grew up in a family of intellectuals, for lack of a better term. Right. My, my, my family, me and my brothers and sisters and my father, Ponties, everybody. We're, uh, I mean, we were a you know, black family, but uh, we a bunch of nerds, for lack of a better word. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? That. Yeah. We, like, we just like knowledge. And so one of the very first things I wanted to know is, how the hell did this happen to me? And the more I learned, the more shocking my own decision-making processes became to me. I became not at this system but myself initially then I became outraged at this system but initially it was my own decision even to this day I'm an old guy none of the no more um, but even to this day sometimes in the dark watches of the night I ask myself man what the hell was you thinking I'm, I'm going over something that might, may have happened 40 years ago <laughs> man what the hell was what the fuck was that about Who's going through your head when you? Yeah. You and at that time, I just didn't know. Right. I was genuinely, I just didn't know. And by and large, if you introduce information, new knowledge to a mind, that mind will change. It it is just the nature of dialectics. And when you hear me use the word dialectics, I'm talking about dialectical materialism. Like I was explained before, the laws of dialectics are as irrefutable as the 
But I guarantee you, if you are introduced to new knowledge and you begin to view the nature and structure of your society, you will see you live in a, no, you live in the most advanced, fascist nation on the face of the earth. It's so scientific. Yeah. It's almost clinical in its application. Um, and I mean its application to social control. In this country, people have the illusion of freedom and dignity and choice, and they have none, and they don't even know it. Yeah. How could you get more advanced than that? God, oh my God. But then you have guys like me who uh, we do know it, and they tell you all that I'm a criminal. They tell you I'm the bad guy. Exactly. <laughs> I'm the direct opposite of that. See, exactly, exactly. I spend my every waking hour trying to figure out ways that we can live free of competition, free of suffering. Well, we can live free. Free to make bad, is it? There's enough food on this planet where don't nobody got to be hungry. There's enough work to be done on this planet where nobody got to be unemployed. There's enough housing on this planet where no one has to be homeless. There's enough knowledge on this planet where no one has to be ignorant. Why is it that we have so many poor, hungry, homeless, ignorant people? Anybody ever ask that question? Could it be that you live in a society that actually needs the hungry, the poor, the ignorant, the homeless to ensure that a very, very small number of people can live in several houses with more food than they can eat in seven lifetimes? They throw most of it away after their dinner parties. I mean, we have billionaires. Yes, yes, we do. I mean, what do you have? Two hundred and forty-three billion dollars. What the? What the? That should. That's. That's. That. Yeah. That should. That's criminal. <laughs> uh, uh, the first book that I read, <laughs> and it was the catalyst for my own evolution, was George Jackson's Blood My. That's the very first book somebody slid me. I'll never forget it because I was on uh I was on orientation at at uh Donovan. I was in Donovan. I was on orientation. Somebody slid me blood mine. Wow. And uh changed my life. And the reason it changed my life is because as I was reading these words, I could see glimpses of my own life. That I experienced personally. Wow. And there's no experience more earth moving, more uh, transformational than self experience. Absolutely. And I ain't talking about what somebody else went through, I'm talking about what you went through yourself. Right, absolutely. When we read that we live in a society which actually commoditizes human life, and you've been that commodity. You know it. Uh, it resonates with you. <laughs> it resonates with you to the degree that you uh, you begin to change what you do, how you talk, how you relate to people. And you ask me how do I maintain my humanity? So for everybody who's not really, really aware of this fact. The primary motivation for a revolutionary, a genuine revolutionary,
evolutionary is love. We love the people more than we love ourselves. It's really that simple. Yeah. I can think of no greater definition for humanity or someone who's humane is when you love your fellow man more than you love yourself. That you love your people more than you love yourself. That you're willing to sacrifice your life just to live a little better. Um, that's pretty much who we are. And we don't go around with a picket sign saying it. We just show it. What we do on a day-to-day basis is practical. And it should be practical. It should be what you do. It should be who you are. It's not something you're striving to be or something like that. It should be natural. Organic. <laughs> yes, organic. Exactly. <laughs> and it is. And and um, I mean, I love I I love hearing it. And it's true. I I do know this. I ask you. You know, I ask you these questions that are somewhat rhetorical. But but when I think about how numbed out we are, and like what you talk about, this advanced um, um, form of fascism here and that we are living it out here so many of us no clue whatsoever i mean i think the term fascism genocide any of these words are just still too too much for people to handle but like you said when your mind is introduced with something new it's changed to what degree we don't know right and so i just think it's really important as we are constantly getting these mind numbing messages out here and those messages being put into action as well um i think it's really important for us to hear uh the counter over and over and over again yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know no matter how many times so like you the say revolutionary to, thing anybody can do is go introduce themselves to their neighbors only all four sides of it's incredible just that yeah it's just say hi exactly and i think about that a lot as a matter of fact just on a little bit of a side note but um absolutely related uh santa rosa just experienced a 4.6 i think it was 4.6 something like that uh, magnitude earthquake and santa rosa is only a few hours from us a couple of hours from us right and of course it made me think about um like how pre- it's been brought up as with others, like how prepared are we? Here we are. We've been given another reminder that we are overdue for having an earthquake, a big one where we could lose power, lose water. This is when people start, you know, if we lose power or water or access to food for any length of time, we start turning on each other. And like you made me think about that. And what you've always said about the most revolutionary thing you can do is meet your neighbor and it's also for these reasons to learn how to act, to uh, behave cooperatively. Exactly. Check this out. Uh, this is a, a related note. When you were speaking about the Atomic Infrastructure Mission earlier, one of the initiatives of the aim is Emergency Response Network. Yes, yes. ERN is designed to prepare a community for something like an earthquake where you actually leverage your social cooperation to ensure that every last one of you, no matter what happens, y'all will be all right because you prepared for it. Right. You're ready. But that takes cooperation. It takes unity. The one Achilles heel for every initiative of the aim is the 
Right, exactly. That's intentional, though. Yeah. That's purposeful. I, we intentionally designed them this way. And we did it for a reason. You are being told that you are individual, that your individual rights and the me and, and I is the most important thing. It's a lie. It's, it's, it's false. It's not true. It's designed to make you believe you by yourself. You ain't by yourself. Right. We live in a community. It's us. It's we. If we could, you, if we could translate that functionally to our daily practice, I guarantee you, your life will be a thousand times better, a hundred times easier. If you got ten hands that's carrying the same bag, the weight in your hands is gonna be nine times lighter. Exactly. Yeah. So it's simple. Like, this is what I mean by fascism is irrational. Yeah. That's common sense. Right. It really is. It really it's common is. sense, dude. We work together. Shit will be easy. Yeah. 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 We've been orientated in every area of people's activity not to do that. Exactly. Play on your own. Be by yourself. It's all about me. I got to get over on the next man. No. That's a lie. Right. Exactly. It's not true. It More importantly, absolutely. Yes, yes. Competition is a lie. Cooperation, that's the truth. Give it a try. It works. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I just, I love you. This is just, it's really amazing. I actually read the um, some of the... Um, of the emergency response, the, the African American Community Emergency Response Manual. Yeah, yes, and I did. So I read some of that. Like, look, you know, just kind of again, the little massaging, getting people to, you know, like, look, we have people that have, they've spent decades. They they got this down. All we need to do is, you know, trust and and pay attention because y'all have our best interest at heart, and I appreciate that and just love you so much back really do all right um in the context of this next election there are five states that are have on the ballot uh the removal of slavery language yes slavery is on the ballot in five states we've got vermont louisiana tennessee oregon and alabama and alabama uh the prisoners there uh have organized and in all 13 of their prisons, they have at least one person that has been on some kind of strike since September 26th. They've been going for three weeks, and then they've taken a break, and they're going to be back at it on October 31st. Mind you, for those of you that know or remember the California hunger strikes, the historic California hunger strikes, three strikes it took before they were able to end indefinite solitary confinement, the kind that was meant to break these men. So we definitely want to be here supporting these uh, the Alabama uh, strikers um, on their on their next phase of this strike to bring worldwide attention to slavery in this country. This is a crime against humanity, and they are exposing it for what it is. So this is an excerpt of Kinetic Justice, uh, speaking on Abolition Today, hosted by Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. If you want to know all things about all things um, 
slavery, then tune in to Abolition Today every Sunday, 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and you can find that at abolitiontoday.org. All right, so here we go with one of their guests, Kinetic Justice, longtime activist and abolitionist, talking about uh, the strikes that are coming up, slavery being on the ballot, Alabama being one of those states, and the strike. Here we go. So yeah, let's go ahead and bring our people in, man, because I've been looking forward to hearing from both of them, particularly Kinetic. I haven't heard from him in about a year, man, and you know, we go way back. Uh, so uh, let's do some introductions. Here, sure. So I would say, I don't even know who to start with. You know, I'm just going to do any, meeny, mighty, mo. No one get offended. <laughs> but I'd like to start with Kinetic only because the brother is currently in prison and we know how things can change really fast there. Uh, please welcome to the show abolitionist, activist, organizer, kinetic justice. Welcome back to Abolition Today, brother. And he was also on Live from the Plantation, which aired for 25, 28 episodes here on Abolition Today. So, kinetic, peace, brother. Great talking to you once again. Peace and power, brother yourself. Peace and power and love, brother Max. It's good uh, to be back in the presence of, of some real men who's struggling for freedom, right? You know that it's a good thing to be back. As a matter of fact, it's my first uh, time being back on a blog talk show interview or anything in the last 18 months. So I'm glad that it was uh, we're here with y'all brothers uh, to make the, the reintroduction of, of the real. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's not a yeah. Uh, they eliminate opportunities to go home, and it's just that you're a commodity. 
and that's the Alabama way, and that's that slave system that they've had uh, in, in the entire existence of this state. Um, after repeated requests for the DOJ to intervene and do something, um, because we're experiencing a humanitarian crisis in Alabama, at this very second, um, we have over 207 deaths in 12 months. You know, we have a record number of overdoses, more in prison than in any city in the state of Alabama. You know, and people are dying. Real people are dying. More body bags are leaving out of here than people on parole. That's what I was saying a month ago. I stand corrected. Uh, yesterday, I seen that it was 207 deaths and 223 paroles in that same period of time. So they neck and neck, you know, ain't but one way out for us. You know, in a body bag, we're going to work you to death. We're going to drain all the resources from your loved ones who got to take care of you because you work for free. And then we're going to dispose of you. And brothers began to organize on the inside and communicate that, you know, this was unacceptable. Why would we continue to hold this prison system up? I'm saying the court is shut down on us. We can't get out that way. The parole board is shut down on us. We can't get out that way. So why in the hell are we keeping the prison system running? It's the only part of the apparatus that's working, you know, because we are working. And you got, you know, and part of our struggle throughout the years, we have been organizing around our labor uh, in a nonviolent and peaceful way as a means to not just express our discontentment and dissatisfaction with these conditions and this situation, uh, but to be politically organized and to start effectuating change by exerting not just our economical power and our social power, but our political power. So, you know, right here at this juncture around election time, there was a lot of look incidents that could be what you could say the straw that brought the camels back. But in the end, we began to organize in a fashion uh, to use this time and this period uh, to make this expression that slavery is over. We ain't doing it no more. We, we refuse. We ain't doing it no more. And at present, we on a, a two-week pause, but October the 31st, we going right back down. Uh, we were three weeks in the first time ever that an entire state uh, has been on the same page, the women, death row, and all the men prison, uh, that for three weeks we were able to, in a, a fashion, make a statement that this is no longer acceptable. And following that, coming up on the election of taking slavery off the bat, uh,
expertise in trying to pull these events together, and we had a wonderful turnout. And I'm talking about the, the mindset of the people of Alabama is shifting. Uh, it's noticeable, you know. It, it's seen. It, the coverage uh, from the media was, was beautiful. You know, it gave us a platform for the last three weeks. Well, there's still a platform because they're still talking about it. And, you know, the chaos, the confusion that the ADOC is experiencing right now, is, you know, it's, it, you can't even explain uh, what they're going through and, and the disruption of the economic flow and the fight um, is crumbling. And we're watching it crumble uh, right before our eyes, and we're going to keep pushing until we see it fall all the way to the ground. Thank you, brother. Um, yeah, it was definitely a big one-two punch with us exposing that this is literal slavery and y'all showing how it looked. Uh, that was very powerful and still is right now. All right. Thank you again, Max and Yusuf, for everything that you do with Abolition Today, Kinetic Justice. Uh, We are going to stay up on what is taking place with the Alabama strikes. Uh, Their other guest, uh, Reverend Glasgow, we will also hear from. um, Again, I encourage you all to go to abolitiontoday.org. All right, a, a couple of other pieces of news. Setawa Nantambu Jama'a, who went on hunger strike to expose the conditions and uh, protest the conditions uh, that are taking place at California Healthcare Facility, um, ended his 20-day hunger strike on the 18th of October. Um, and he and his lawyer have put out a statement uh, with the demands. We will continue to watch what unfolds based on how the California Department of Corrections and Small R Rehabilitation respond to those demands. We still have no word about what is taking place with Dr. Matulu Shakur, so we will continue to uh, send him his flowers. And as of the production of this pre-recording, Mumia Abu-Jamal will be having another hearing on Wednesday, October 26th. So that will have happened by the next time you hear this recording. And we hope that it means his freedom. Lastly, do not forget to make those donations to KPOO San Francisco 89.5. All right, that is our show. We are going to get on out of here with the song Work by Bob Marley and the Whalers.
Get Ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer.